Thank you. Jesus never once had a problem with his microphone. Test. There we go. Test, test. I'm going to be behind. I don't know if I can do that, but we're going to try it. I could act like I'm performing. How are y'all tonight? I don't know. I talk with my hands, so I can't hold the microphone. No, that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) We're here all night, people. All right. Glad that you're here this evening. 
Um, I, I am going to do what you shouldn't do as a speaker. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. It's been a rough day. I'm extraordinarily tired. I did not get a chance to go over my notes again, so I may actually read them a little bit, and I apologize for that. I know it's a challenge when somebody reads notes. I think I have them all down pat, but I usually like to do them one last full time before I present, and I was not able to do that. So, again, I apologize if I spend a little more time with my head down. Actually, you won't know any better, will you? Because I've got... I'll just do like this, and you won't know whether I'm looking at the microphone or at my notes. We're good. All right. Uh, as we get started, let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Loving Father, uh, as we always do, we come before you thankful for this opportunity in the middle of the week to be together as a family and to spend time in your word. Thank you for giving us this ability and this opportunity. May we listen to what you say to us tonight through your word, and may we allow it to affect us and change our lives. May we talk about the things that would be important for us to talk about and learn what you would have us to learn. Thank you, Lord, for how you bless us and take care of us. And thank you, Lord, for your son. And it's through his name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we were on the Passover, and we spent some time talking about it last week. We're going to shoot right into some application, but just as a, a brief reminder, we spent last week talking about the Passover. And um, uh, we talked briefly about how does the Passover point to Jesus? What's related? What's common? And um, what does it tell us? So just give me some ways that the Passover makes you think of Jesus. The Passover feast that God instituted in Exodus 12. How does it make you think of Jesus? He's the Passover lamb. In fact, he's referred to the lamb, the lamb of God, the Passover lamb, uh, lamb without blemish, right? And we're told in the Passover feast, you need the firstborn, the lamb without blemish, blemish male. Right, good. What else? Yeah, the, the protection of the blood. And that's, that's really a centerpiece behind what we talk about with the Lord's Supper uh, and, of course, with the Passover. One of the things we talked about last week is obedience of God's exact commands. In other words, you could take the lamb, you could cook it the right way, you could have the meal, you could be prepared, you could be dressed the right way, but if you don't put the blood on the doorpost, you had no protection. It was the blood that saved you. Now, we all know it wasn't the blood. It was God seeing the blood and what God chose to do. But he said, the blood is what I'm going to see when I see the blood on the doorpost. Uh, and it's the same way for us. Um, we can do a lot of things well. We can go to church, right? We can be a part of a group, a community. We can do Christian things and be Christ-like. But without the blood, we aren't saved, right? We're, we're going to have death just like um, they were. What else? Or maybe the Passover reminds us of the Lord's Supper in some way. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Faith? Yeah, so in what way? So I would, I would say, and I cannot, I cannot definitively take this out from Scripture, but I believe based on every other aspect of God and Christianity and, and worship of God, I, I agree with you. Faith. In other words... What Tony's saying is you had to believe that the blood was going to make a difference. I think if somebody went through the motions and didn't care, I think if some Egyptian thought, I'm going to slaughter a lamb and put door on, door, blood on the doorpost, I don't think it would have saved them. God would not have been fooled. You know, oh, let's get some red paint and put it on all the doorpost. No, 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 no. The, the blood was useless without it being the right blood for the right reason. And I would say the same thing about uh, baptism and Christianity. 
Um, you know, there were baptisms before Jesus instituted his baptism, right? Uh, before the day of Pentecost, there were, right? Jesus was baptized. John the Baptist was baptizing people, but they weren't saving baptisms. Um, you can be immersed in water. I go swimming a lot. I get immersed in water. It's useless unless it's baptism for the right reason. So faith in God and doing what God said is what allowed the blood to save them. Correct? Yeah, I agree with that. What was the purpose of the Passover feast for them, for for the Israelites? A reminder. I heard that. Yeah, a reminder. So think about that. Isn't that the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Now, the reminder is not just remember God, right? And the Lord's Supper, I'm going to be blunt, is not just remember God. We have things we are to be directed to remember, okay? And the Israelites did as well. He said, you remember who delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, right? Not just God did, God's a great God, let's have this feast. No. Oh, God did a lot of stuff for He said, you remember who delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians, And so you need to remember you were in slavery in Egypt. And this feast reminds you that you were in slavery. You were doomed. You had no ability to control anything. And I delivered you. God delivered you. And that's what you're remembering. You You had a need for a deliverer. And God was the deliverer. Right? Um, And I think the lesson for us is... um, we all need the blood, right? So the Israelites, they needed the blood of the lamb, right, to be saved, to the firstborn to be saved. We all need the blood. And you say, oh, that's a good reminder. It is. It's a pretty, pretty big topic. But without the blood of the lamb, we also would be dead. Now, the thing that's hard is I know a lot of Christians, and I mentioned this three weeks ago, I know a lot of Christians who never actually viewed themselves as lost, particularly those of us who might have grown up within the church, we reached a certain age and we became baptized because that's what we do. And we wanted to be saved. We wanted to be a part of the church. But we never actually thought, if I died right now, I'm going to hell. And so, you know, I grow up in the church and I'm a pretty good guy. And hey, I want to be a part of the church. I'm going to get baptized. Guess what? No matter what that age was, my sin was sending me to hell. And if I never viewed myself as lost, I never viewed myself as in need of a deliverer, Right? And part of what God says in the Passover feast is you need to know that you need a deliverer. And if you want to stay in Egypt and if you want to stay, that's not okay. Stephen, you okay? You need me? Y'all give me a second. I'll pick up the lesson while he's uh, he's working. I oh, I got all these notes too. <laughs> so the the Exodus. What's amazing about the Exodus to me is um, that was a really terrifying night, right? I mean, if you really think about it and try to put yourself in that spot, that was a very very uh, difficult and terrifying night. On the that the Bible tells us that there was. There was noise. I'm going to read verse, um, verse 23 of Exodus chapter 12. 
For the Lord will pass, let me get my glasses on while I have them here. The Lord will pass through uh, and smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. Now here's an interesting question. What is the destroyer? What was that? No, not Satan. Good, good, good thought, though. Remember, this is coming from God, right? So he says he will not allow the destroyer to, uh, to smite you or to come into your, your houses. That's God. God is coming through and, right, and sending an angel to destroy, to kill, to take out the firstborn. And that's a very scary night. Uh, also, along with that, down in verse 29, 29 uh, now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn. So you see who's doing it? It's the Lord. Who destroys Solomon and Gomorrah? The Lord, right? So this destruction of these people who are living wicked and evil lives, they're being destroyed by the Lord. You ever heard people say, my God will never? Wrong God, right? My God will never send people to right? Wrong God, right? And I know we like to have a fun God, but God is not fun, right? In that sense, because uh, sin is causing God, as in the book of Job, remember the book of Job, Job chapter 2, what did God say to, to Satan about the punishment against Job? He said, you made me punish him without a cause, or you made me, you know, you made me do this. Uh, And so that whole question, that's a whole, you know, theological thing within itself. But God was doing the destroying. So again, verse 29 says, Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the captives who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And so all of this came from from God, right? And so that was a very scary night. And so I think the idea and the understanding of reverence for God and love for God and appreciation for God. Because God didn't just destroy, he also saved. Right? Those always go together with God. God destroyed, but God also saved a whole slew of people. Right? Um, And you think about the, the world this time. The whole world came to Egypt. It's the opposite of Noah. So in Noah's day, God destroyed them and there were only what? Eight souls. Now, archaeologically and the, the findings and all this, they say there were a few million people on the earth. We don't know that for sure. We don't know what the number was. It really doesn't matter. But we do know that the opposite is, in the days of Noah, more were destroyed than saved. Right? In fact, there was no real comparison by way of number uh, when you look at Genesis chapter 6. And so, um, as we're reading through the scriptures, remember that the, the New Testament says to behold two sides of God. What are they? The kindness and the severity. There's two sides to God. So there's, there's mercy and there's justice. Right? And so, you know, we have to keep that in mind as we're studying the scriptures and thinking about things like this. Now, something amazing about the Passover to me is that it really truly does reach forward thousands of years to the Lord's Supper. It really does. 
right? And so there for us is this, this excitement, this reality. We're living in a reality of God's continual salvation. As we partake of the, the blood and, the, and the, fruit of the, the fruit of the vine and, uh, and the body of Jesus, we're living in a reality that is outside of us, right? The Egyptians, it's not only that the Egyptians and the Israelites and those in the whole world, it wasn't just that they couldn't save themselves. It was that they could not save themselves. It's a reminder to us that we cannot save ourselves, right? We have to have a Savior. And so every first day of the week when we partake, we're thanking God for two sides, for the kindness toward us and the severity, right, toward our sins. And so uh, God also has to destroy the destroyer who is uh, constantly against us, and that is, that is Satan. Okay, I don't know if he was going to the Red Sea or not, but since we're at, uh, I don't want to get off of his, his notes, but the Red Sea, is there anything you think of about the Red Sea? Because he mentioned it earlier, and so I'm going to piggyback off of that. Is there anything you can think of from the Red Sea that he mentioned earlier? Baptism. Right? It's, it's a, it's a, it, was, it was, here are the Israelites, right? Now they're being saved from the Exodus. Uh, they're leaving Egypt. And now when they left Egypt, Israel and the Hebrews, the whole world, formed this people. Uh, chapter 14, I think it is, in verse, um, let me find the, the verse here, where it tells us that it wasn't just Israel, but rather it was a whole slew of people, and that will later on make uh, our, our Israelite nation and those who are abroad. But baptism and the importance of baptism and the connection with the Lord's Supper is pretty amazing. God already had this picture painted for us if we just go back and look. So 1 Corinthians 10 tells us to learn from Israel, and that's one of the things we learn from Israel. We learn the crossing of the Red Sea, we learned that baptism was, uh, is essential, and it was essential for them for salvation. Though they were saved that night, they had to cross the Red Sea, and God called that a baptism because the water was congealed on both sides in the cloud, right? God covered them, so they were completely immersed through in a spiritual way from God. And so the, the connections from the Old Testament to the New Testament are really impressive when you really think about the physical aspects of things that happened to them and then join that to the spiritual things that God was trying to connect for us, right? And we're talking about salvation as well as um, severity. Okay, <clears throat> I, I don't know where to, to follow through with his lesson because he'll be back, I assume, shortly. But I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, since I mentioned it. And um, we will take a look at that, and then maybe I will sit down. Beginning at verse 1. For I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. For our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And so there's that connection right? There's the connection from God, and he makes another connection for us, and that uh, is in verse 4, uh, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from one spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock who followed them was Christ, right? 
So you see, when someone says, well, I don't see Jesus in the Old Testament, it's like, you just have to open your eyes, right? It's all about Jesus, uh, as my sermon said, right? It's all about Jesus from the very beginning to the end and even, even before then. Okay, so God gave us then, in the connection, He gave us uh, some things to think about uh, to not follow. And in verse um, 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happen uh, as an example for us, that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. Come, I'm passing the baton back to you. Thank you. Tag, you're it. Thank you, Tony. Isn't, that, isn't it amazing to have the ability to just stand up and teach? I'll spend 28 hours preparing for this. Tony can do better with <laughs> no preparation at all. Let me just shoot from the hip. And so, um, if it's okay with y'all, uh, so Charles, he's, he's feeling a little better, but they are transported to the hospital. Why don't we stop and let's have a prayer on his behalf and his request, and I agree with that. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, we come to you right now on behalf of Charles, just with the issues he's having, the health issues. Please give him some peace and some calm and help those that are evaluating him and taking care of him and uh, help, him, help them get to the, uh, the issue and to take good care of him. Uh, we love him and we want him to be well, and we put him in your hands, Lord, and we ask your blessings upon him. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I, I think everybody knows... Um, so I don't really apologize as a physician. If I get up in the middle of services or I walk over to somebody, I, I don't worry about disturbing. I'm not saying I just disturb for the sake of it, but a long time ago I learned it is okay to walk over and say, hey, are you okay? Well, even though you may or may not be a physician or a nurse, do the same thing. You know, in services and class, I really appreciate Stephanie and whoever else, Pam, just uh, stepping over and saying, are you okay? Do you need help? So... Um, that's what a family does, isn't it? We, we look across the way and see somebody who needs help. So what did you get to? Did you even, you never, you didn't even look. Did you know I had nosed up here? No. You talked about the Passover, didn't you? The Exodus. All right. Okay. Let's talk about the Passover plague, the actual, the actual plague itself. Um, and so we know now with the feast, we know what was established. We know what they did. And the plague itself. So the angel of death, the God's angel, the Lord's angel passes over. All the firstborn in the country that are killed, that are not protected by the blood. Okay, so I want you to think about that. You know, we, we read through that and we sometimes think, you know, here are these evil Egyptians. They're terrible. They deserve punishment. I want you to think about every person, whether they were a slave or worker in the fields they may not have been someone who had anything to do with the Israelites being enslaved. They might not have been anyone who's been evil to the Israelites. Every family lost their firstborn. And every animal, I mean, it was, it was comprehensive. Probably 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 babies die. I mean, you just think about that devastation and loss. You think about, it's like, oh, that, I don't wish that upon my, my enemies, right? And it gets back to a point we talked about. 99% of the people in Egypt had not done anything e evil to the Israelites, right? But their families were affected. Their baby died because of Pharaoh's sin. Because Pharaoh hardened his heart. Because Pharaoh did not recognize God as God. 
I mean, that's pretty devastating to think about it. And then I think about, well, sometimes my sin affects innocent people too, doesn't it? Sometimes my bad decisions affect innocent people. The bottom line is sin leads to death. This is just one example of that. And without the blood, everybody's sin leads to death, period. And it's awful to think about these moms and dads that wake up in the middle of the night and their children are dead. Their baby is dead. But sin leads to death. And the price of sin is death. And because of Pharaoh's sin, a lot of people died. A lot of innocent, and I use that term because a one-year-old, a newborn, right? They hadn't sinned, but they died. Jackie? So, you know, that's a good question about who's the firstborn. It doesn't, it doesn't just say if you're an adult and you have a firstborn, what if you're the oldest, right? So my oldest brother, who, no, no, I'm just kidding. Not my oldest brother, right? My, my dad. And so, right, or mom, or what, yes. So there could have been a million deaths that night, right? Every family's firstborn regardless of the age. Uh, there could have been a million deaths. Now, the thing that's hard to know is since Pharaoh didn't die, and he most likely would have been the firstborn, I don't know, but God may have spared him only for that reason, to make a point. Um, oh, yes. That's true. Yeah. The, could, could there have been a girl firstborn or an older brother that had died in Pharaoh's household? Yeah, there's lots of ways that Pharaoh, but yeah, Pharaoh didn't die. That's, we do know that because he summons them in the middle of the night. Um, but you just think about the loss of life because of Pharaoh's sin, because he hardened his heart. And it says, because you don't recognize me as God. Um, And it's sobering to me to think that's the cost of my sin, right? But we have the blood. You know, we have the blood on the doorpost. Um, Not my blood, but Jesus' blood. The lesson I have written there is everyone is subject to God's judgment. The slave, the beast, Pharaoh... Well, in our life, I'm not going to say animals are, right? But everyone is subject to God's judgment. There is no sparing God's judgment. We may not see people punished on this earth. We may not see them punished in this lifetime. But everyone is going to stand before God. Okay? Everyone is going to stand before God. And no one can spare the judgment, right? No one can be spared. In fact, only blood will keep us from being punished. Now... Will everyone face punishment? My answer is yes, but here's why. Let me, let me explain this. If I stand before God with sin, I will die. And you say, well, Stephen, what are you saying? And I've said this before. When I stand before God, and this is a misconception I've had, but when I study the Bible, this is what I see. You know, we think about the judgment day, and so you're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, Stephen, you did X, Y, and Z, but Jesus is pleading on your behalf. No, no. If I believe what God says, I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, Stephen, you don't have a single sin in your life. Not because I'm sinless. Not because I'm sinless. I understand that. I have sin in my life. But he's going to look at me. You were perfect, Stephen. That is so great. You get to go into heaven. Because Jesus is standing there and he's got these marks on his, right, where these, where these nails were driven. Through. So I'm sinless before God, not because I'm sinless, but because God has already taken those sins away. In fact, 1 John tells us it's not judgment day when my sins get forgiven, right? I don't stand before God and he says, okay, you've had this life, you've been a Christian, so I'm going to forgive your sins. It's not judgment day. My sins are already forgiven, not because I'm perfect, but because if we walk in the light of season, the light, the blood of his son, 
continually, that verb there is continually ongoing previous past and in the future, cleanses us from all sin. So if we are Christians who are baptized and protected by the blood, we aren't perfect, but if we are walking in the light, right? That doesn't mean we're walking perfect. We're walking in the light. God is going to look at us on judgment day and say, Tony, you're perfect. Get into heaven. And we might joke, oh, I know Tony. No, no, no. That's not the way it works. God's like, I remember them no more. As far as the east is from the west, that's where I remember your sins, right? So God's not going to say, now, you were, you were forgiven because you did this. and you No. He's going to say, Stephen, I don't even remember a sin in your life. Imagine that. I can't even fathom the mindset of God because God doesn't have a mind the way we do. But he doesn't even know that I had sin in my life. He says, I'm not going to remember them. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far I'm going to separate them from you. That's pretty neat. Stephen, you're perfect. And I know I'm not. And Jesus died because I'm not. But I stand there before God, perfect. In the, and I've said that. If you're not perfect, you don't get into heaven. Oh, you've got to live a perfect... No, 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 no. I'm not talking about living a perfect life. But if you've not been washed and cleansed and had those sins forgiven, one sin will keep you out of heaven. Not one bad sin. Not, well, I was... Hitler or Saddam Hussein or Jeffrey Dahmer. Nope, nope. One sin will keep me out of heaven. But a million sins can't keep me out of heaven if I'm washed by Jesus, if I'm living that life, right? And so I will stand before God and you will as well. And if, we're prote- if we have blood on the doorpost, he's going to say, you're perfect, get into heaven. I'm so glad you're here, love you. And we're going to get to get in. Not because we earned it, not because we lived a perfect life, but he will see no sin in our life. He will see nothing and remember, I don't remember you having any sin. And look at my son, right? And he, that's what he's going to know. And that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat to think about. Uh, now, again, please do not think I'm saying I, I'm perfect. Romans 3.23, anybody know what that says? Right? For all, right, Tony, is it a few, most, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Right? But if you continue reading in Romans, you see what is there in God's grace and the forgiveness that occurs. And it gets back to 1 John 1 and 5. So, uh, and then Hebrews eight twelve is where he says, I will forgive their sins and remember them nevermore, or no more. Remember them no more. Uh, as far as the east is from the west, I will take them from you, Psalms 103. So we will all face the judgment. We will all face punishment. But those that are protected by the blood will have zero punishment. We will be judged as perfect. Uh, because of the blood of the lamb questions or comments i think that's such a neat thought to think about so scott yes second corinthians 5 yep mm-hmm. so second corinthians five twenty one, a great verse god took the perfect right him who knew no sin Jesus, he became sin for us. When we talk about the agony of the cross, I am a firm believer that it is not the physical suffering that made it the agony of the cross. Physical suffering is something that was bad. It was not his friends rejecting him. That was bad. It was a perfect God who is in heaven, who had to leave heaven, take on sin. What is this? He knew, he, he knew no sin. He had no sin. He had to take that on on our behalf and watch his father turn his face away from him. I think that's the agony of the cross. He gave up heaven and took on sin for us. 
I'm not saying physically I could do it because I don't think I could. I'm not saying I could lose all my friends that way that returned. But that's the agony of the cross. He left heaven and said, Scott, I'm going to take your sins are mine. You're, you're, you're perfect, Scott, but I'm going to take those on. And he did that to me and he did that to you. That's the agony of the cross. So that we could become the righteousness of God. So that we're perfect. We are, God's righteousness is perfect, right? We are right with God, perfect with God. Ooh, is that righteousness the image that God made man in? I think man is made in God's image from a standpoint of a soul and free will, and he intended for them to be perfect, yes. Obviously, we messed that up. But he does intend for them to be perfect. And when we are back with him, I think we'll be in that true image again. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because see... Something went awry is your statement, and I agree. God has free will. Jesus has free will. We have free will. We didn't do so well with that free will. God didn't go, oops, you messed up. He knew we were going to. But I think we were made in the image of God. I think we were created, and we were created perfect. Remember, Adam and Eve had no sin until they did, right? Uh, So we were made in the image of God. We shall make man in our image. Um, We have a soul. We have the ability, we have the free will, we have the ability to love. Um, but we did mess it up. But I think we will be made perfect again. I think when we are washed by Jesus, when we are righteousness of God, cleaned, um, I think God sees us as perfect and in his image. As, it's a perfect, this is a perfect, again, this is, Stephen's perfect. I hope nobody watches this and only sees part of the video because they'll really pick up on, you know, Stephen's perfect. Not because I lived a perfect life, but Stephen's perfect. Because I'm the righteousness of God because him that knew no sin took my sin. And now I stand perfect before God. That's, that's pretty reassuring. Other comments? Yes, sir. <laughs> Right, that's a good point. So the statement was, you know, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3. That statement could be used to say infants need to be baptized because they're, they've already sinned in their lives. Uh, and that statement can be used. But when we look at what sin is, sin is knowing to do right, but don't do, but we don't do it. Sin is when we let our lust and desires drive our decision-making, right? The things that lead to sin. And I would say there are people who live on this earth who never sin, um, mentally challenged, a one-year-old that passes away. And so those verses all have sinned. It, it, it is it, what the assumption is there that you know what sin is. Right and the ability to sin, um, but I agree with that. It could be take, it can be used and be taken out of context. And so I've gotten on my soapbox before, and it happens a lot when we take one verse out of context and we're going to create a doctrine on it. Yeah, you know, and we we have to be careful about doing that. Lots of people can do that, and we've seen it. Uh, we take the Bible as a whole. Now I'm not saying everything's figurative. No, 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 no. Oh well, baptism is a figurative. No, no, no that's not what I'm saying. But if I take one verse out of the Bible, I can tell you you can be saved by belief only. 
But isn't there also a verse that says, well, if you believe, you're no different than the demons, right? So I can say you can be saved by faith only. But then there's a verse that says you can't come in contact with Jesus without baptism. You know, so I can do a lot of things with this one verse doctrine. So we have to be really careful. I, this verse would be used to justify infant baptism. There's also one that Jude about baptism for the dead uh, that's taken out of context by one religion. And they talk about being baptized, baptized for the dead. So there's a lot of ways we have to be careful when we talk about one verse doctrines. Um, every verse is important. Every verse is worth studying. But no verse stands by itself. And as we all know, there were no verses in the Bible. That is a human-made thing. There were letters that were written and books that were written. There, there weren't chapters and there weren't verses. That has made it for us to be easier to find things. Nothing wrong with chapters and verses. It's simply a way of finding things. Um, the other thing to be careful about one verse doctrine, one is it's wrong to do it. Number two is you have to make sure you have the whole scripture, right? The whole um, uh, word of God. Um, but then we have to be careful that we make sure we know where that verse came from. So I had a discussion with somebody in the last couple of weeks and they were using a translation, which is a good translation. But there are times when we have to add words into a translation to make it make sense in English. Okay. Now, I don't think this is something that affects the essential of uh, salvation, but there are things that we talk about. Okay, I'll give you an example. Qualifications of an elder. What does the verse say about them being married? Husband of one wife. That's not what it says, but that's what every version says. All right? That's not what it says. Anybody know what it actually means? A one-woman man. Now, I'm not going to sit here and have a debate about can they be married or not. What I'm telling you is we've got to be careful. The verse does not say husband and one wife, does not apply husband and one wife. It says a one-woman man. That is what is implied there. So we can talk about the role of divorce or widowed or remarried four times. That's a separate conversation. But we have to be careful. We are limited when we have a translation that is limited by words. Okay. Now, again, I don't think you have to know Greek to know what the essentials of salvation are. In fact, I know you don't have to know Greek, right? It is very obvious, and it doesn't matter how you translate it. It's pretty obvious. The only way to come in contact with Jesus' blood is through what? Immersion, right? You know, so there's another one, right? When did the word baptism come into being? The word baptism did not exist until it was made up by the King James translators, right? I think everybody knows that. There was literally no word baptism. They saw the word baptizo, and they had a problem. The guy paying them to translate, the guy who can have your head cut off because he doesn't like you, he was not immersed. And we're translating the Bible and about to tell him that the only way to be saved is through immersion. Ooh, if I translate it this way, he's going to kill me. So they anglicized the word. Baptizo became baptism. What does that mean? It means to be baptized. That's what it means. It means immersion. There is no debate. There is no scholar who says baptism means sprinkle. There is no scholar who says baptism means um, uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptism means immersion. There is no debate about that. Now, we can debate about whether that's required or not, but that's what it means, right? Baptism is not a word that existed. They had to come up with something. So, again, I don't think you need a Greek uh, degree to know how to be saved, 
But when we start getting into specifics about governing the church and worship, we might want to be careful when we take one verse out of context. Right? We've got to be careful. So another verse is taken out of context. In Christ, there is no Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Right? So it doesn't matter whether you're a man or woman. doesn't matter from a role in leadership and eldership. Isn't that what that verse says? We're all equal. We can all be elders. We can all be preachers. No. Right? If you take that verse, you don't even have to go to other verses to know that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about salvation. But if you do go to other verses, you see, again, all the verses have to go together. The Bible does not contradict itself. Um, so we just have to be careful. All right, questions or comments about that? Yes, sir. Yes. We have to confess. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I don't want to, that's a good point about salvation is a free gift. We don't earn it. But that also is not I'm going to sit back and do whatever I want to do. We have requirements. And baptism is not the only one. So again, let's go to that walk in the light as he is in the light. That means we're attempting to live a certain way. We are to confess our sins. We are to turn away or repent from certain lives, right, from things in our lives. So don't think that I'm saying that Christians have this golden ticket, the Willy Wonka golden ticket, and I can walk through life however I want and God's going to view me as perfect. He's going to say, there's, again, one verse, one verse doctrine. Can't do that, right? There's a lot of requirements. Doesn't mean you earned it, right? So the example is, if I say to you, I'm going to give you $100 tonight. It's out there on the table. All you have to do is walk out there, pick up a bowl. It's underneath. It's $100. Did you earn that $100? No. But if you sit here, did you get that $100? No. And if you do part of it, you go out there and you believe there's $100, you have faith there's $100, we don't pick up the bowl, you don't get the $100, right? So that's the way salvation works. It is a free gift. It's a free $100 gift, except for it's worth a bazillion dollars. We don't earn it, but we got to get it, right? The gift is given, but we got to get it. And we have to do some things to get it. That doesn't mean you earn the $100 because you lifted a bowl, doesn't mean you earn the $100 because you walk to the table. But it is still a free gift. There are things you have to do to get it. All right, good stopping point right there. Again, I apologize for the distraction, but I think everybody understands. And thank you, Tony. Appreciate that. Um, Tony will be traveling. All right, James is out. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, um, the children will be coming in with the second bell. And uh, we'll have a brief Devo then. So thank you, everybody.